Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Jury Love. I'm your host. Today we're recording episode 78. Before we introduce our guest, I want to introduce myself and my book. Again, my name is Jury Love, and my book is called A Gift from Adversity. And this is available on Amazon, A Gift from Adversity. Subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And you can search on Amazon. When I published my book in 2020, I felt really compelled to tell my story. But not only that, I got a lot of messages from all over the world that they are also the victim of these adversities. This year, I wanted to create a platform on social media that we can discuss about adversities and have difficult conversations and normalizing and destigmatizing mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Not only talking about adversities, but also sharing the tools that people use to overcome. And I'm hoping that this podcast will help somebody out there and for the next generations to come. So let's invite our guest. We are having Luisa Moroni from Canada. Hi, Luisa. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you, Jury. I'm pleased to be here. Wonderful. So, Luisa, before um, our first question, can you introduce yourself Mm -hmm. and where you're coming in from and your website and social media? Absolutely. So, uh, Luisa Moroni, I'm the type 2 diabetes warrior. I live in a suburb just outside of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, and um, I guess what, what I do is I help type 2 diabetics reverse the disease, get them off medication, and help them lose weight if it's necessary. Not all diabetics uh, have a weight issue. And what are your social media? Oh, yes, that's right. So, so my social media handle in all places is my name, Louisa, L-U-I-S-A. Moroni, M-O-R-R-O-N-E. I can be easily looked up on Facebook, on Instagram, and on TikTok. Those are my three playgrounds. And you have quite followers. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I've uh, built up quite a following. I've been uh, doing this for about two years now, and I've, uh, I've got about 12,000 followers now. So um, I've built a, a loyal fan base, that's for sure. That's fantastic. Yes, thank you. Well, Louisa, let's just dive into our first question. So can you share your uh, our audience? Mm-hmm. What was your adversity? Mm-hmm. Okay, let me start. So um, eight years ago, I, um, eight years ago, I was weighing 300, well, over 315 pounds. Um, I had a hip problem. So my right hip needed to be replaced, uh, but I couldn't qualify for the surgery because I was obese and the doctors kept saying, you're not going to heal properly. And so every year when I walked, hobbled actually into my doctor's office using a cane, I couldn't, I couldn't walk 200 steps without writhing in pain. Uh, I would hobble into my doctor's office to be told, Louisa, is there some way you can just manage to lose 15, 20 pounds this year? (laughs) 
And I would be like, oh, yeah, yeah sure, dog. Of course I can. Of course I can. I would promise her. Uh, she would set me up with an appointment to go see a dietitian, a nutritionist. And I would lose a little bit of weight and then self-sabotage so that the following year when I hobbled back to see my doctor again, I had actually not lost weight, but gained an additional 15, 20 pounds. So I was always going the opposite direction, even though I desperately needed the hip surgery. On top of that, Jerry, my father, I had already seen my father who was a diabetic. He, he, he basically ended up on kidney dialysis at end of life. He struggled with type 2 diabetes. He was not overweight at all. He was quite a thin man. Uh, he passed away on dialysis machine, which is a brutal uh, procedure for diabetics because their kidneys fail. On top of that, my father-in-law was also a type 2 diabetic who at end of life ended up on kidney dialysis. And on top of that, my own husband was already a 20-year diabetic. So eight years ago, when I hobbled in there and had managed to gain 20 pounds, my doctor said to me, after warning you for a number of years that you were going to become a diabetic, Louisa, after, and you know you do know your father was one so and you, when you were pregnant you had gestational diabetes so it was only a matter of time she said you are now a type 2 diabetic and you're going on medication and i just said huh how did that happen cuz i was in denial i didn't think it was going to happen to me and so that we sat there and she scratched her head she said, well, we do know how it happened. You have been warned a number of years, you're going on medication. And I just saw a flash of what my life would be like because all the diabetics in my life, they, you know, my, when my father was first diagnosed, my father-in-law, my husband was two pills. Two pills became four. Four became eight, eight became 16. And diabetics typically, the blood sugars are not regulated so then high blood pressure begins, so another pill for that. And typically, high cholesterol starts to happen. And it's just an endless journey toward kidney failure at the end of the day. Uh, so I walked away in shame, but I didn't do anything right away, Jerry. <laughs> I thought, this is my life. I'm gonna go the way of my father, the way of my late father-in-law. I already knew what was going to happen to me. And I knew I wasn't gonna get the hip surgery either. Um, it was difficult. And then every so often out of frustration, I would open Google and I would type things like, can I get rid of diabetes? Do I have to take pills for the rest of my life? What's my life going to be like when I'm on 18 pills like my father was? And at that point, my own husband was on 18 pills. So I knew. And every time I would shut the computer down because you know what it said? The best way to get off pills as a type 2 diabetic and not have that, that trajectory of a life is to stop eating carbohydrates, to go on a keto and low-carb lifestyle. And I was like, oh, no, I can't give up rice, potatoes, noodles, bread. Uh-uh, no. And I would just shut the computer down and say, no way, can't do it. No, 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 no. But then as I began to continue to gain more weight, as the pills were not really helping with my blood sugars, I was not eating according to a diabetic lifestyle. I went to see the dietitian again. It was a specialized one for diabetes. 
you know, she told me what to do. I followed it for a bit of time, but I was too hungry. I was too hungry. Uh, typically, a diabetic is told, eat six small meals a day. All those small meals did was make me hungrier. And when you're hungry, you don't really stick to, to the minuscule little portions that you're told to eat. So I was on this yo-yo, on this big wheel of going around and around in circles. My blood sugars were not uh, regulating. And so one day I decided after the you know hundredth time of Googling again, how do I, is there a way to get rid of diabetes and not take pills? I thought to myself, okay, do it. You've tried everything else. I had tried all kinds of different diet programs and I, that weekend, you, you always start on a Monday, right? I'm going to start Monday. My father would always say, if I had a dollar for every time you said you were going to start something on Monday, I'd be a rich man. So that weekend I sat down and I ate all the carbohydrate, all the carbohydrate foods I loved, potatoes, potato chips, French fries, noodles, stir fried rice, bread, toast bread, Italian paninis. I, I had a party with, with high carb foods. And on the Monday, I started. I started eating according to what I was told would help me get off medications. And you know what, Jerry? That was eight years ago. Um, within months, I got off medication. Within six months, I had lost enough weight to qualify for my surgery. Went in and got my surgery, threw away the cane. And eight years later, I have lost 150 pounds. I no longer take medication. It's been eight years since I've been off metformin. And I have never felt or looked better. I have also been able to assist my husband because his kidney was failing. So we can talk about that later if you want, or I can tell you what happened with him now. You guide me. So let's focus on you and your adversity part of it. And let's save the keto and then let's save the tools part for the mm -hmm. second question. I want to dissect a little bit and sure. I want to talk a little bit about diabetes itself. Mm -hmm. So for people who don't understand what diabetes means and then what is diabetic okay. means, uh, let's dissect on that. Okay. And I, unfortunately, mm -hmm. uh, this September, blood test came back a little bit my sugar was a little bit high and then my doctor warned me pre-diabetic and then i was never told that in my life i'm 46 i'm kind of quite shocked and mm, yes lose curve whatever so yes right i kind of started if intermittent, intermittent fasting so mm -hmm, they said mm -hmm. check it back in a few months or so on right. top of thyroid condition that i have so um mm -hmm. I'm curious personally, mm -hmm. what causes diabetes and what is really mm. diabetic means? Well, I'll tell you right now that there are three types of diabetes, number one, and they really are very different from each other. So firstly, most uh, of us become type two diabetics later in life. So you have been told that you're pre-diabetic for type two. Uh, I'll explain first what type 1 is. Type 1 
is typically found in children and it's because they are born without insulin in their body at all. The body is not producing any insulin in order to use the uh, the carbohydrates that you're eating. You know, we eat bread, we eat rice, we eat potatoes, vegetables. They all have carbohydrates. And so a type one is born without the ability to process it by way of insulin production. So that's for that's a different type. What you and I have, or what you being a, uh, being told you're pre-diabetic, is called type two. That is that shows up later in life, and it's mainly lifestyle related. Jury, it is what I call a disease of bad eating over the lifetime over your lifetime basically and that's because what happens is we all eat more carbs than we really need you know we don't eat the portions that we should we overdo it you know we have a bowl of rice we might have another bowl of rice we we have two slices of toast we might go and have four slices of toast what happens over the years is that the body can no longer produce the amount of insulin needed for the amount of carbohydrates you are putting in your body does that make sense to you, Jury? Yes. Mm -hmm. So that's type two. I call it the disease of bad eating. And now the medical professionals are calling dementia type three. And so type and so all what they all have in common, and we know what dementia is, it's it's a brain disease. What we all have in common, uh, exclude type one because they're born without the insulin. Type two and three, you're affected by the amounts of carbs and in particular the amount of sugar that you eat that's a basically a layman's explanation and a very simple explanation of what type 2 diabetes is and let me give you a stat right now in north america 40 percent of uh, canadians and americans are either pre-diabetic like you or already type 2 diabetics or and on medication or type two, but haven't been to the doctor because they're in denial and they don't want to go hear it. So 40% right now of North Americans are dealing with type two diabetes. Very sobering. And what is the effect? Like, you no, know, say if I don't take care of myself, what would have happened to me? And if I don't take medicines and then mm, they, yeah. what kind of health effect that's going to influence my daily life? Well, uh, you know, you could suffer from weight gain, uh, incessant, uh, you're going to the bathroom, peeing, you're going to suffer from a lot of peeing, um, thirst as you're peeing, uh, you're also getting very thirsty for water and, and soda. And of course, if you're a soda drinker, the more soda you're drinking, each can of Coke or Pepsi has 40 grams of sugar. And so my dad loved sugar, uh, loved Coke, for example. You're trying to quench your thirst with something that's creating a big issue in your body because three Coke cans is 120 grams of sugar. So what is going to happen long-term to someone like yourself who's been told pre-diabetic, if you listen to me earlier, I had been told for a number of years by my doctor, Louisa, you're pre-diabetic. You got to watch yourself. Please portion your the food you're eating. I didn't portion my food. No, no. I want two bowls of pasta. I want three pieces of pie. And so, and, to, and, and here's the problem with type 2 diabetes. It's called the silent killer. And I'll tell you why. 
no pain. There is absolutely no pain associated with diabetes. None. You can eat, um, you know, uh, three bowls of noodles, uh, a piece of uh, pie, a, a milkshake. These are all full of sugar, right? But there's no pain other than maybe gastrointestinal issues. Maybe, oh my goodness, I feel so full. But there isn't pain. And so what I tell type 2 diabetics to shock them, to make them understand, is you're basically allergic to high-carb foods. So if I told you, Jury, you are becoming allergic to lobster and seafood, would you eat it? Would you eat, ever touch lobster again? No, because you know the consequences. You would go into, into shock. And if I told you, Jury, you're pretty close to becoming uh, allergic to peanuts, you wouldn't eat peanuts, would you? But you've been told you're pre-diabetic, but you're probably still eating many of the foods that are slowly harming you because there's no pain. There's only pleasure when we eat. When we're enjoying a beautiful meal, which is high carb, we're not thinking about our disease, are we? No, we're enjoying that beautiful dish. What we don't realize is the amounts of carbs and I, I kind of say carbs and sugar in the same breath, because whether your body gets the carb from a potato or a bowl of rice, or whether it gets it from a donut, a donut, your body is happy. Your body is saying, I'm getting the carbs I want for energy. And it really doesn't care whether it came from a potato or a donut, because the body needs fuel. Just like a car needs gas, our bodies use, our source of fuel is food. So typically the food, the body is using the carbohydrates in a food. So for example, brown rice has 48 grams of sugar. Okay. That's without adding anything. It has 48 grams of carbohydrates. So when you eat a bowl of, of rice with some meat and some vegetables, and the vegetables will have some carbs as well your body is going to use the, the carbs in the rice and the vegetables. The meat doesn't have any carbs, so it's, it's not going to use it as a source of, of energy. Your body will be like, oh, here comes the carbs. I, you know, operate, whatever. But what happens is the excess in certain people, the excess carbs that it didn't use for energy gets packed on as fat. That's why some diabetics become, start to struggle with their weight. The body is not releasing the carbohydrates. It keeps it for future energy. Now, what happens when you switch as I did from a high carbohydrate way of eating to a low carb or keto way of eating is my body went looking for the carbs I usually gave it. I used to give it lots of carbs, extra large pizza, big bowl of lasagna, potatoes, French fries, hamburgers with buns. But I switched. I started eating non-high carb foods, which we can talk about later. So my body, looking for the energy it needs, says, ha, no carbs or very few carbs. So it starts to burn fat. The body needs something to burn. If, the, if I'm not giving it the carbs it wants, it's going to burn the fat. And that is how most people that I work with are able to lose weight because when they switch from burning carbohydrates and storing the extra and they switch to 
becoming what I call a fat burning machine. I am a fat burning machine. I do not give my body more than 20 grams of carbs per day. So if you remember, I said a cup of rice, brown rice has 48 grams of carbs. I'm eating for the whole day, less than a half cup of rice of carbohydrates per day. What am I eating though, right? You're wondering, well, you're not eating rice, potatoes, bread, pasta. What are you eating? Well, I eat well. I eat quantity and I eat a lot. But what I eat is fresh meat, fresh fish, fresh seafood, fresh vegetables, fresh berries, and I do eat uh, uh, dairy and cheese. And I make my own desserts with natural sweeteners. So I'm not denying myself. And if you heard what I talked about, everything is fresh. Fresh meat, fresh dairy, fresh che uh, cheese, fresh greens, fresh berries. Because we as a society also eat too many processed foods. I used to order two hamburgers, two fries, a big vanilla milkshake, two apple pies. That's what I had for lunch. So you can see how when I swapped from eating those high carb foods to it, it, keto and low carb is actually going back to eating whole foods, basically whole fresh food, not something from a box, not something from a can. And I don't buy anything in a bag. So does that make sense to you? Yes. Thank you so much. So we'll dive into the keto part of it later, but I want to dissect a little bit. Uh, so you said you were, uh, Mm -hmm. Three about three hundred pounds. Over, I I hit three hundred fifteen, three hundred twenty pounds. Yeah. So I read your bio a little bit that um mm -hmm. you had a clothes um that you dreamt of wearing that you could wear. How did it make you feel when you had that weight and then mm -hmm. you know wearing what you mm -hmm. didn't want to wear? And then how was your mental health? You mentioned a little bit in your bio about depression. Yep. Like, how can you explain our audience in that state? Mm, yeah. Well, first of all, well-meaning friends and family, they don't know they're doing it, but they fat shame you, right? There was a lot of, oh, you're having another piece of pizza. You just had five. That's your sixth piece. You want that? So of course, our natural way of being is to rebel and say, yes, don't tell me what to do, you know? Um, and then also, so they, they mean well, because they don't want you to hurt yourself by eating something that they knew I was a diabetic by that time. Uh, then, you know, and some of the other things that happened to me would be looking through magazines, you know, fashion magazines, and just wishing, oh my God, I love that outfit. It would never look good on me. You know, and and then seeing your friends, being out with your friends, and then wanting to take a, a picture, all of us together. And I would say, I'll take the picture. I would always step out. I would be the one taking the picture. I was never in the pictures. It was my way of not being seen. As well, my children sometimes go through our old photo albums of when they were babies and, and younger, and they say, Mom, there's not any pictures of you with us. There's lots of them with their father. Again, I didn't want to be in pictures. And now I cry 
it hurts me to know there are not many pictures of me with my children. I denied myself memories of me with my children because I was so big and so embarrassed of being in those pictures. So I was taking pictures of them with their father, but not many of me. Um, sometimes if I had to go to a dinner or a wedding, the desperation, the, the sweat breaks out because you got to go and buy something and you can't go into the nice elegant boutiques. They don't have sizes for me. And then you end up in a, in a department store and, and you're just praying that something that looks nice will fit. And sometimes it's ill fitting, but you're like, okay, it fits a little tight, but it fits. I look kind of okay, but it's ill fitting and it's riding up. And, and, and you don't really feel good, but it's the best you can do. But then you go home and then you go back to that one dress that you feel comfortable in and you end up not even wearing the new outfit that you bought for the wedding. Because you just know it doesn't look good or you don't feel confident that you're going to look good. There were so many episodes that, you know, and then you say to yourself, I'm going to start on Monday. I'm going to start on Monday. I'm going to start. I start just like I would tell my doctor. Oh, yes, doctor, this year, swear to God, when I come back, I, I'm going to you, you watch. I'm going to come back and I have I'll have lost 25 pounds. And then the walk of shame as I go back the next year and she can hear me coming with my cane and I'm also breathing heavy. And, and I walk in and we weigh me and she's like, Louisa, you've gained 18 pounds. How did this happen? And the shame, because I'm like, I did what you told me. I, I, I swear I followed what the dietitian said. But the doctor knows I'm lying, and I know I'm lying to her. But she's too kind. My doctor's lovely. She would be like, well, let's try harder next time. Let's, let's talk again about what we're going to do this year. She was very patient with me. Some doctors I know get very frustrated with their patients. And I can understand why, because, but it's just so hard so hard to acknowledge especially because when i became a diabetic i was like how did i manage to do this then it's the anger at yourself you know you've been warned and yet you ended up becoming a diabetic anyway very hard to it's just so hard i have a lot of compassion with the people i work with i've been in their shoes i've walked I've walked that walk, walk of shame. And then um, were you always overweight growing up or did it start in your adult life? Um, you know, I, I guess I was I, up and down, up and down. You know, I would maybe got became a little bit chubby as a child, but then, you know, thinned out. Uh, then uh, put on weight. It was up and down. So I was one of those chronic up and down yo-yo dieters, which does impact your metabolism later in life. You know, so it would be like, oh, got to go to the dance club or I got to go to a wedding. Oh, I'm going to drop 10 pounds in a week. Yeah. Ooh, starve. You know, I used to starve or go on this, you know, cut the fat diet, uh, count your calories, 900 calories mm -hmm. a, a day. And then I would dump the weight I needed to dump, go to the wedding, look good and then relax and gain it back. <laughs> so it was a yo-yo dieting. And a lot of people will probably identify with that for sure. Yeah. And then depression part of it is mm -hmm. um, mm. mental health wise. So I know that you didn't want to be in the picture and then you didn't want like, you know, yeah. all this um, shame coming at you. But 
how do you describe, especially when you were this overweight stage that um, mm -hmm. mental health wise, like, you know, depression, is it like almost beating yourself up, like, you know, shaming you or more uh, kind of a bullying type of thing from outside? I would say that it was self-sabotage, you know, every person I know wakes up and sat and I would go to sleep and, and plan my day. Oh, I'm going to have uh, low fat yogurt in the morning. And then I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to eat just a half a breast of chicken and some boiled rice, no butter, no oil. You plan everything and then you wake up and you maybe do the yogurt and the little bit of fruit. And then I'm hungry. I can't do this. I can't do this. I, I'm starving. I, 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 and and then and then you say okay i'm just going to go and buy one donut and then i'll eat the donut but i'll get back on track for lunchtime but then the donut just opens up everything and it and then you trick your brain then your brain says oh you screwed up the diet already you screwed up you started on monday and then your your brain just says well you had a donut now you go and buy another box go buy a box of donuts you've ruined the day and why continue you've ruined your week now and by and then you've why even continue? Now the month is ruined. And now the whole year is ruined. So then your brain just says, don't bother. Don't do it. Don't do your plan that you dreamt of. And this is a cycle that most of us every night go through. Every night, I would lie down and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to have healthy breakfast. I'm going, to, I'm going to follow it. And then every day by lunchtime, I'm having a burger, fries, uh, pizza, uh, because my brain is saying, ah, you screwed up. You screwed up, you're a loser, and then you self-medicate. We also use food to soothe. I knew when my husband was upset because he eats the same comforting foods I do. We would come home together and say, let's make some mashed potatoes and some grilled cheese sandwiches, and let's have some pasta, and let's have, go get a whole loaf of like white bread, and let's put jam and butter and peanut butter on it. That's what we would do. We soothe. The very pain is coming from the food, and yet we're using the very thing that's harming us to soothe ourselves. And your brain and your and your endorphins. What what are they called? The dopamine is just like happy for that few for that half hour where you're eating this food, and then comes, oh, what have I done? And then you're back at square one again. It's a cycle of self-hatred, but soothing yourself with the very things that you you're, that are harming you. And, and many people just feel like, I can't do it. I love, it ends up that you end up loving a piece of cake more than your own life. You know, I, I talk with some of my clients and some of the folks that come to me and I say, you have got to love yourself enough to understand that that coconut cream pie is slowly, slowly doing harm to you, to your blood sugars, to your health. And yet we love that pie more than ourselves. It's very, very hard. Well, thank you so much, Louisa, uh, for explaining that stage, mm -hmm. mental stage. And then mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in Japan, mm. it's very different than America. So 
I think we eat a lot of rice, obviously, but we don't really see many obese people. Mm-mm. I think mm-hmm. I'm kind of shocked that I was told I'm pre-diabetic because I'm not overweight or anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand and mm-hmm. where it's coming from. And mm-hmm. sometimes just like um, first thing is thank you so much for clarifying mm-hmm. type one diabetes and type two and then the dementia one but then also um the shame self-sabotage and then blood cycle understanding that it's harming you but Mm. still consuming it Mm -hmm. and psychologically um you know it's gonna hurt you and then you know but that's kind of like addiction part of it too uh you know i was gonna say and i have stated this many times i'm gonna say it now sugar slash carbohydrates are the most addictive is the most addictive substance on the planet more addictive than alcohol cocaine or heroin it is a statement that can shock but when you think about it when you tell someone I want you to give up rice, potatoes, pasta, and fruit for the rest of your life. That's a hard one to, you know, take, isn't it? But it is. I'm still addicted to the foods that were harming me. I would love, love to eat them, but I don't. I won't. I manage my addiction every day. Every day it pops up man would I'd like to have a, a slice of apple pie with ice cream you know so it's a it is an addiction you're absolutely right Jerry absolutely you just hit it on the nose and then another thing I wanted to mention is say in Japan like you know we look thin and then even like a little bit of fattening a little bit of obese like say um mm-hmm. I think you've seen like a Japanese magazine and what we like really I was model in Japan. I was mm-hmm. on fashion magazine right. and we were always obviously encouraged to be thin. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. um, even just a little bit of weight, like, you no, know, we have this like really bad words, like say for instance, daikon ashi, which is like a radish, like a big fat radish legs. Mm-hmm. And then like, you no, know, we have this um, shaming, fat shaming names. Yep. Yep. For, and it's not that bad but then like mm-hmm. when i came to america i was very shocked with the size of the people mm-hmm. and the obesity level is completely different than mm-hmm. japan and i don't know why but um mm-hmm. when you see maybe some of the ingredient or maybe some mm-hmm. diet mm-hmm. in america have in japan i think mm-hmm. it's very very different i don't know about canada but uh well north america let's call canada and north americans meaning canada and the u.s pretty much eat the same way jerry it's easier Mm -hmm. to buy a prepared meal than it is to cook at home now i'm of italian background you're from japan the the countries that our parents came from they worked out in the fields for 12 14 hours they burnt whatever sugars they ate so in in italy it was pasta in japan it would be rice with fish but they burnt it off 
And it's also, it wasn't as processed as what we have here in North America. The bread my mother ate was handmade, milled, and kneaded and made at home. There is much more processed ingredients in the bread we're buying now. And so there's a big difference between also many of the products, many of the ingredients accepted in the U.S. are actually not accepted and are not allowed in foods in other countries like Europe and Japan. So, and I have to say that the Japanese diet, the Japanese lifestyle is very good. I love sashimi. You see, I can still enjoy Japanese food. I just don't eat the rice. I just go straight for sashimi. I will have a big platter of sashimi. So for sashimi, for the listeners that may not know, is sushi without rice. And I don't order a California roll, which I don't consider really truly sushi. I ask for actual fish, all of the different fish, the eel, the raw tuna, the raw salmon, the raw octopus. That is what I'm eating. That is pure protein without rice. So I, I still go out to restaurants. What I have the ability of doing is now, because I'm nine years into this lifestyle, I know exactly when I walk into a restaurant what I will eat and what I won't. I see. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. I really appreciate you coming into a gift from adversity. And you're my yeah. first guest to talk about type 2 diabetic, mm -hmm. diabetes, mm -hmm. and then uh, this very issues that I, I'm kind of shocked that 40 percent of mm -hmm. us are kind mm -hmm. of suffering or maybe mm -hmm. diabetic um mm -hmm. in north america and then yeah i'm really shocked about myself as well um, i'm sure you are and and i can explain it in two minutes not it, like, no no and and that is the misconception people think that only overweight people are diabetic that is not correct uh, because my both my father and my late father were not big men. Uh, you're not, from what I can see, Jury, you don't have an, uh, you're not overweight. Again, it's the fact that your body is no longer capable of making enough insulin for the amount of carbohydrates you are eating. And if you don't do something about it, you will be placed on metformin or Ozempic or one of the other oral medications. But I can tell you why. Don't be shocked. It's the North American lifestyle. You see, the word breakfast doesn't mean eat at 7 o'clock or eat when you wake up. The word breakfast just means breaking fast. I break my fast when I'm hungry, not because the clock says 7.30 a.m. Do you understand that? So as a society, we've been told, oh, breakfast has to be when you wake up. Oh, lunch is 12 o'clock. Oh, snack at 2 o'clock to get you through the afternoon. Oh, dinner at 6 p.m. Oh, snack at 8 p.m. before you go to bed. Do you see? Uh-uh. If you think about it, North American lifestyle has taught us to, con we're eating all the time. Now, I do intermittent fasting, which means that I go long periods of time, and I've actually reset my hunger clock. I now wait to say, I now have the ability to, to actually understand when my body says I'm hungry. Because we don't give our body a chance to say I'm hungry because we're always shoving food down there. Breakfast, 7.30, gotta eat, gotta eat. 
mid-morning snack, 10 o'clock, got to have a cookie with some coffee, 12 o'clock. Do you know what I mean? Breakfast just means breaking fast. Do you know what time I break my fast? Some days I break it at 3 or 4 p.m. And I don't, I haven't eaten be, uh, since the day before. I also now do OMAD, one meal a day. And I'll tell you what, that sounds shocking, intermittent fasting and one meal a day. But when you give your food, your body, I consider my body a jaguar, and I'm giving it optimum fuel. It's not hungry all the time. I'm giving my body good fuel that isn't putting it in a cycle of continuous hunger. Because as soon as you burn that bagel and, and your body uses it as energy and then packs the rest on as fat for some, it starts saying, I'm hungry again. I, I, need, another, I, I need another fix of carbohydrates. So, Jury, do you ever have that sort of swing, carb swing of you've eaten something that's quite heavy in carbs and then you're hungry a couple of hours later? Do you ever have that? Yeah, so let's actually switch already to uh, uh, number yeah. two, okay. which is the tools that you use to overcome. And then, so before we move on to this, mm -hmm. Lisa, I just want to let people know, you kind of mentioned a lot about keto mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So the reason why I like this part of the podcast mm -hmm. is that a lot of people obviously misjudge you know, overweight mm -hmm. people or maybe mm -hmm. diabetes and then all that yes. stuff. And then depression as well, that people will say, oh, just go get a therapist, you're going to be fine. Mm, yeah. Everyday thing. So I want to hear from the real people right. who went through the adversity and the mm -hmm. tools that they used to overcome that mm -hmm. actually worked. So Louisa, mm -hmm. what are the tools that yeah. you used that completely changed your lifestyle and then worked for you that you can share with our audience? Well, there are several. So first of all, I believe very much in customizing a program for someone. I find out what their likes are. Does the person have a sweet tooth or do they like crunchy? Like, do they like to eat chips and, you know, things that are crunchy? Um, I also do an in-depth uh, get to know the person. Um, and so one of the things is that most people, what they have in common, they're in a rush. I want to drop 20 pounds, I, you know, and, and you think about it, um, you, it didn't, you didn't put on the, for those that are overweight, you didn't put on the weight overnight. You're not going to take off the weight overnight. So I get clients saying, I want to lose 20 pounds in my first uh, three weeks. Well, hang on. I lost 140 pounds over seven years. If you break that down, Jerry, that's 20 pounds a, a year. Uh, that's 20 pounds a year. That's one and a half pounds a month. That's half a pound a week. So when people on chat groups or when I see people saying, oh, I only lost five pounds this week. Ooh, that took me quite a few months. So number one, I teach people consistent and steady results. You're not in a race. Why are you in a hurry? You've put on 60 pounds. You want to take them all off in three months. You didn't put them on in three months. So I teach people to start to be compassionate to, with themselves because when you're in a hurry and you think you need to drop 20 pounds in a month, if you don't hit that target, you know what happens to a person's brain? You failed, you failed. You didn't hit your target of 20 pounds. Forget it, bail, don't do this, give up, take the pills, etc. 
The other thing is too, is that people, um, when they fall, for example, you know, oh, Louisa, I, uh, you know, we have, I have an accountability group that meets every week on Tuesdays and they'll come and they'll say, I couldn't resist. I've done so well. And I couldn't resist. And you know, that, that piece of pie was sitting there and I ate it. I said, okay, fine. Now you have two paths. You can go. I screwed up my day. I'm going to screw up my week. I'm going to screw up my month. Are you going to allow that one piece of pie to do that to you? Or will you get back on track? Don't allow, your brain will always want you to go back to the comfort of, ah, I screwed it up. Let me go back to, you know, to what I know. No, what you're going to do is train your brain to say, okay, I did that. Now I'm going to get back on. The other thing too is what I, what I say is to, to, to just sort of, um, as people begin to learn their triggers, which foods trigger them, I will say, count to five, count backwards from five. When you have that temptation, just say to yourself, look how far I've come. Close your eyes and count backwards. Five, four, three, two, one, and walk away from the temptation. Go do something else or go eat a food that has no carbs and eat as much as you want of it. Spinach, creamed spinach with butter in it. Spinach has one gram of sugar per serving. Knock yourself out and eat a big bag of spinach. Go and eat a whole roast chicken. I used to, when I had those cravings for the foods that, that had high carbs, I always had in my refrigerator a whole roast chicken. And you, it was not uncommon for my children to see me chicken, chewing on a chicken wing or a chicken leg. I ate that entire bird sometimes the entire day. But guess what? It soothed me. I had something in my mouth that I was eating, stopped me from eating the donut that my child brought home. I was satisfying my desire to chew a food to feel full. And at the end of the week, I lost two pounds. And so we also, uh, in the group uh, sessions, I typically give everybody a journal page every week. And we always talk about the win. So sometimes a client will come in and say, I didn't lose weight this week. Okay, that's a win. You didn't gain. And they're like, right, I didn't gain. That is a win. Or sometimes people, and I don't make it about the scale jury. It's not. For people who need to lose weight, they're always obsessed with, oh my God, I have to weigh myself every day. I help them release that. Because what we celebrate is something called NSV, non-scale victories. A non-scale victory is such where I one time got into the car. I started to put my hands on the driving, on the wheel. And I noticed that my stomach no longer hit the steering wheel. I had lost weight around my middle and I broke down crying. For many years, I had to squeeze my stomach to fit behind the steering wheel. That was a moment of such joy for me. I didn't lose weight that week, but because sometimes you don't lose the scale, but you lose measurements. The body doesn't always release weight, even though you're getting smaller. So we always celebrate wins and we take every step towards getting off the medication, getting, uh, you know, 
every day is a day where you've got to look for the positives. So we turn all the negatives into a positive. I can't have bread. Okay, what can you have? What can you have that will replace the bread? And we go from there. Well, thank you so much. And then um, can you tell us about keto diet and then IF a little bit? And then what another thing, one meal a day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, all of them, what they have in common, everything is again, what I said earlier, tapping into truly when you're hungry, learning to eat when you're hungry and not according to the North American clock. So keto basically is uh, one of the tools we use. There's keto, and then there's about four ways of doing low carb. Intermittent fasting is in there. So is OMAD, which is one meal a day. So with keto, it is the most strict form of low carbing. Keto is eating under 20 grams of carbs per day. Half a banana, like I said, half a cup of rice. That's what you're eating. But you eliminate the high carb foods. And there's a misconception that keto is eating no carbs. That is not true. I eat meat with Brussels sprouts, broccoli, zucchini, green peppers, uh, spinach, cauliflower. So what I what I show people is you can either eat a medium potato, baked potato with sour cream, or you can eat an entire head of cauliflower. The potato will have, and the cauliflower, you can put butter, you can put uh, sour cream, cheddar cheese, bacon bits, green onions, you smother that thing with lots of good fat. The potato will have 33 grams of sugar. An entire head of cauliflower has 10. Right? So a small potato or a big head of cauliflower, which usually you can't finish because it's got all that good fat on it. So again, keto is the, is the, is the most strict when it comes to um, eliminating high-carb foods. But the payoff, eat as much as you want. Steak roast beef, ribs, chicken, uh, whitefish, salmon, tuna, all those foods have zero carbohydrates in them. They will not affect your blood sugars. They will not make your blood sugars rise at all. And you'll be eating those foods with lower carb vegetables. Now, fruit is something that keto does not accept, except for Berries. So anything that ends in the word berry, strawberry, blueberry, raspberry, all of the berry family, those are very good because they're low in sugar, high in fiber. I enjoy for dessert a bowl, a, a mixed bowl of berries with heavy whipping cream and shaved chocolate and some sugar-free caramel sauce sometimes. So you're not starving, Jerry. Does it sound like I'm starving? And I tested how many steaks I can eat. When I started keto, I can eat two and a half T-bone steaks with butter on top and a big serving of cream spinach and half a cauliflower and a big green salad. So I'm not starving. I hope I've made that clear. <laughs> and then, then when you get to your goal, let's say that you're a diabetic and oh my God, keto got you in four months. The doctor has said, jury, you don't even have to go on pills your blood sugars are back in normal range. Then what we do is we look at, there's four ways of doing low carb. 
we look at which one is suitable for you to sustain because keto is not sustainable. You don't want to do keto for the rest of your life. Keto is the tool to get you going. Then what happens is you start to add carbs. So maybe you can eat 40 grams of sugar per day and it's not going to affect your blood sugar. Some people can eat 60 grams of sugar per day. Some can go as high as 80. But again, it depends on your body. What threshold? When is it that your body starts to rise? The blood sugar starts to go beyond six. Normal blood sugar A1C is four to six. If you start rising above six, your your doctor will call you back and say, what's going on? Your blood sugar, your last report started to go up again. And then we would have to say, jury, I think that you need to stick in the 60 grams of carbs per day. And that's, and so with all of this lifestyle, you don't count, you don't count fat grams. You don't worry about calories. I've never counted calories for nine years. I don't worry about fat. I eat butter. I eat cream. I eat olive oil, coconut oil, coconut cream. I don't worry about that. There's only one thing you count in keto low carb. The amount of sugar you're eating, AKA carbs. So it's a very simple way of eating because you only have to worry about one thing. So it does make it easy because when you want to eat something that is harmful, just think of the alternative. And intermittent fasting, um, Mm -hmm. I started it after I was told I'm Mm pre-diabetic. And how effective it is, uh, is it? So like 12 hours, I don't Mm -hmm. eat usually. So before this, uh, but before, uh, which was in September, uh-huh. I was snacking the uh-huh. corn. So I work a lot, like uh-huh. I'm a journalist and I'm single mom and I'm like uh-huh. constantly working and I'm constantly trying to uh-huh. like wake myself up sometimes from right. Right. Um, kind of working on my deadline or whatever, uh-huh. on the movie set or whatever. Uh-huh. Right. I'm day and i eat i used to eat to wake myself up right and then so i was kind of constantly eating so i stopped doing that after it was door diving and then after i started researching about a little bit yeah. about keto, a little yeah. bit about if so i am not doing keto but uh-huh. i'm doing AF. Okay. and then i'm doing maybe 12 14 hours of fasting uh-huh. so that's still effective well, firstly, um, the benefits of doing IF, and in particular, if you're doing it keto or low carb, brain clarity, no more foggy brain wake. You know, I used to wake up, don't talk to me till 12 o'clock, right? So more brain energy, less fatigue, less bloating, less inflammation, um, um, better skin, more youthful skin. <laughs> so you see, there's a lot of benefits. Now, how do you feel? Are you hungry during the 12 hour period that you're not eating? That's the important thing because in keto and low carbing, you're not hungry. So I want to know from you, whether you feel any hunger, are you forcing yourself to stay for 12 hours without food? I don't force myself. I actually force myself to eat after 12 hours because I'm still not hungry sometimes. So that's the difference. Tell me if you're still hungry. Like, are you fighting and waiting for that 12 hour period? Used to when I started mm. um, mm-hmm. 
back in like September, the end of September, and now it's November. Mm-hmm. I definitely had a craving, especially mm-hmm. the like, oh my yeah. gosh, I don't eat, but like I wanna mm-hmm. like stick to it. So I had that. But then when I started IF, and then um, I started to get not so much like I started not get hungry often as often as before. Good. So the test will be when you go in to get your next lab report, which I'd like to keep in touch and I'd like to review it with you, you know, when you get your next lab report, because when someone, my clients always give me their last lab report and then I get excited when it's time for them in three months time to go back to their doctor because there's always good news. So we'll have to see if the, if the IFing you're doing, but you're still eating like carb, like carbs, right? So it will be interesting to see what effect that has had on your blood sugars and whether you've been able to bring your blood sugars down or not. Because um, it is good that you're giving your body the, the rest between the foods. So that means that your body is consuming any of the, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's consuming the carbs that you have eaten 12 hours ago and, and throughout the day. But I'm wondering what you're eating. And that's too detailed for us to discuss today. But I'd love to jump off at some other point and find out exactly what you're eating during the times that you're eating. And then I'd be interested to see again your blood results, like your blood, uh, blood lab, blood your lab report to see what's going on before i forget um mm-hmm. i mentioned on my book a gift my adversity about my thyroid condition mm-hmm. and i was i had surgery when i was 20 in japan mm-hmm. and i had a thyroid removal uh, mm-hmm. surgery very traumatic surgery mm-hmm. and only 30 percent of thyroid i was hyper mm-hmm. but then after son was born okay. i was hypo and then my TSH was about 16. And then they said I had to be on a medication for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. So mm-hmm. I said, no, I forget about that. So I did a nutrition responding testing. Mm-hmm. So I changed my diet. Mm-hmm. And then it worked and it went back to lower. My doctor said I would never have a child again. Mm-hmm. But I have a daughter, no medication whatsoever. Yeah. Then I had a COVID vaccine. Mm-hmm. And after the COVID vaccine, my TSH went up to 126. Mm-hmm. Heard of. And then mm-hmm. my doctor's like, you are going to die without a medication. Mm-hmm. Just So mm-hmm. I took medicine, the full pill, mm-hmm. went back down. So I said, mm-hmm. can I cut in half? And then I cut in half. And I cut off. I was kind of getting more caffeine and sugar at the time. So mm. I said, I'm going to cut that. Mm. Yes, wise, mm. very wise. Mm-hmm. It went lower. Mm. And then now I'm cutting caffeine and sugar. So okay. in November, yeah. what would happen? But anyways, I just want to yeah. share with you, I wasn't diabetic, pre-diabetic before, but I had suffered with thyroid disease. And it's kind of mm. similar concept. I cut a mm. table salt, mm. changed it to sea salt. I started to read all the ingredients. Yeah. Mm. And then... I started to have mm-hmm. colored food, like mm-hmm. um, yellow, um, red, um, green, mm-hmm. black, right. um, mm-hmm. and then um, organic food. So mm-hmm. this is what you're saying about whole foods. So uh, before the diabetic issue just kind of rose, and then I was constantly dealing with thyroid issues. Mm. Well, interestingly, because of depression and then the trauma mm-hmm. that I had, chakra, here, mm-hmm. condition, 
um, I think expressiveness and then not being out for not yeah. being able to advocate for myself, not being able to speak out, that maybe yeah. Yeah. like unconsciously affected me as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our trauma can bring disease. We know that. Um, you know, I mean, there's also the genetics. Uh, my father was a diabetic. So, you know, my children, my two children, knowing that their father's a diabetic, their mother's a diabetic, their grandfathers are diabetic, they kind of think, okay, at some point, we may be become a diabetics too. But mom, you showed us what to do. But a lot of it sometimes does, disease does come because we're, we've, we have trauma. And so when we start to look and deal with our trauma, and when we start to also eat to our disease, then beautiful things can happen, right? And so, you know, everything goes hand in hand, mind, body, soul. We all, it all works together. So, you know, I used to go to dietitians who were very clinical. I don't do that with the people I work with because I've been there. A clinician will have a lab coat and say, well, you didn't lose any weight. Did you eat what I told you to eat? It, there was no compassion. There was no working on, on the torment that I went through. No, no talking about the trauma. It was just very clinical. Many of us don't respond to this because I'm sure many of your listeners did what I did over the years. My doctor kept sending me to, to nutritionists and diabetic dietitians, and I was terrified, especially the walk of shame when I had to go weigh myself every week. I didn't even know the tricks. Some women told me they have tricks like wearing the lightest outfit they have, uh, throwing up, going to the bathroom, taking a laxative before, just so that they could weigh one pound less. I didn't know these tricks. I would just go and say, yeah, I, I gained two pounds, you know, but look at the torment people put themselves through taking a laxative because you're going to go see your dietitian and she's going to weigh you that week and you're too embarrassed because you know you gained weight. This is torment. This is terrible. The, the, the pressure society puts on us as well. You know, when I was big and like I said earlier, the well-meaning people in your life who say, oh, uh, another uh, donut. Oh, you know, shame, shame, shame. Going home, crying on my husband's shoulder, right? You know, my sister made fun of me. I know she does it out of a place of love, doesn't realize that she's hurting me, right? So it, it's, there's so much. It's all wrapped up with trauma, things people say. I still get triggered. There are certain things people will say. How many times has... Your listeners will identify, oh, gosh, you have a pretty face. Okay, what about the rest of me? That is such a hurtful, oh, she has a pretty, she has a beautiful face. You know what they're saying? Too bad she's so big. It's very harmful. And right now, I think on TikTok, there's a big uproar because there's a woman in an airport just quietly eating her dinner out of a takeout. She's not a thin woman. And, and it seems that another tick, a person put a, a videotaped her and was ranting and making fun of the person eating the, the container of takeout food. And thank goodness society on TikTok is defending and rising up and really saying, stop fat shaming this woman who's just sitting there quietly eating what she ordered. 
right? So society puts pressure. And then the more pressure society puts on us, the more we run to the bad food again. We run to the things that give us comfort. Our childhood has a lot to do with it. What we ate as children. And most of it was high carb foods, by the way, but you know, it gives us comfort. But um, yeah, it, it, there's just so much that goes on with mo mind, body and soul. So I work with all of it. Because transformation is scary. I'm sure, Jury, that you're, a, you know, having been told you're pre-diabetic, many people are like overwhelmed. When I was first told, I just thought, okay, my life is going to go the way my father's. So in a few years, these two pills will become four. Yeah, I'm going to end up on dialysis. Oh, well, that's the way my life is going to go. Depression, eat myself to death. Right? But change is scary. And I guide people into stepping into the transformation that they need to, to have occur. Because it's all up here. It, it, it's, it's what we put in our mouth, but, but what we put in our mouth is chosen by what we, what we think. Yes, I have a, a famous saying, microbiotic, microbiotic, um, uh -huh. which uh -huh. a founder said, we are what we eat. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And uh, yeah, uh, I can't tell you. Your viewers, I hope they go visit my 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 Facebook. I, I, there's lots of before and after photos, and I can tell you, I look 20 years older in those photos of just 10 years ago. Like, I ended up going to a conference, and there was these two gentlemen that hadn't seen me in about eight years, and I had lost a lot of weight. And I said, "Hey, Bob. Hey, Carl. How are you?" And they said. Oh, hello. And then they turned because they didn't recognize me. And then they turned and they were like, because uh, I, hey, it's me, it's Louisa. And they were like, whoa. That's how incredible the transformation was. Do you feel good about yourself right now? How you look? I do. I do. Um, I still, you know, I, as I said earlier, let's tie this one up. I still have the addiction though, Jury. You know, if I could. Um, and I know you're going to get going to ask me what the gift of the adversity is, and I can't wait to answer that question because it's going to tie into that actually. I want to also add to that conversation uh -huh. about the tools. So yes. self love, self care, self validation those yeah. are the very important yeah. self sabotage that you mentioned during yes. the adversity. Yeah. So even you lost this weight and then you are in the mm -hmm. clothes that you dreamt of before mm -hmm. and on your biography that i read mm -hmm. um even in that stage if you self-sabotage still it won't work so you know at some point you have to validate yourself and then you know yeah. okay, it's enough like i'm doing a good job and like mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um listen i fall i fall sometimes to my addiction Mm -hmm. Even me, nine years. I'm in my ninth year. There are times. Uh, a few months ago, I came home from a dinner out with my girlfriends. I had sushi. I had sashimi. We went to a Japanese restaurant. You know, I had a good time. Uh, I come home. I'm feeling good. And my favorite food in the whole world, it's pizza. And I look on the kitchen counter, and there's a box of pizza. And I do the five-second count from five, four, walk away. But you know what happened? My psyche started playing tricks. I sat watching TV. Get up and get a glass of water. You're thirsty, which forces me to walk past the box of pizza. 
my body made, my brain made me get up four times to get a glass of water. On the fifth time, I opened the box of pizza. There was four pieces. They went down my throat so fast, Jerry. I didn't even enjoy the pieces of pizza I ate. Then remorse. Oh my God, what have I done? It happens to the best of us. We are addicted, as I said earlier, to sugar, to carbs. It's not the children's fault, even though I yelled at them and said, why did you do that? Why did you leave four pieces behind? Because most days, now listen, that doesn't happen all the time. Most days I'm like, yeah, I walk away. I go get a glass of water. I don't eat that pizza. But every so often, even my own brain will and then I went and add them. So what did I do? Self-compassion, because I could beat myself up. I could say, look, you, what did you do? All this progress you made. So I sat with it, you know, okay. I didn't even enjoy the, the sad part, Jury. Didn't even enjoy it. I was like an alcoholic pouring that bottle 40 ounces down my throat so quick. So it's just sitting with it, having compassion and saying, you're human. Your brain was only trying to get you back into its comfort of where it was. The happiness of chewing on a crusty piece of pizza with gooey cheese on top, <laughs> right? So, and then I moved on from it. You know, I said, okay, fine, you did it. And by the way, after you're eating this way for eight years, your body starts to rebel anyway. I got sick. I got sweating. I felt like I want to vomit, you know, because the it's like a vegetarian, you know, when they don't eat meat for many years. And I have many vegetarian friends. Um, if they eat meat, the body knows, right? So as a diabetic, the body, my body knew, what did you do? You just had four pieces of pizza. You ate a lot of sugar today, right? So I didn't feel well. And that was, that's actually a good way, too, of your body saying, you did so good. Look how miserable you feel now. And what, what was the price I paid? Uncomfortable, feeling like I want to vomit. So then that tells your brain it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. And then the next day I just got back on. Plus, I, I intermittent fasted for 24 hours because I didn't want to eat food again. I was so like, Ugh, <laughs> right? So I did a 24-hour intermittent fast just to reset my, cleanse myself a little bit. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, thank you so much, Luisa, for this um, mm -hmm. very, very important information um, to people out there. And then coming from you who suffered all these issues and then trial and error, um, mm. It, it, it's very valuable to me and then I'm sure to the audience. So let's actually move on to the last question, which is a gift that came from the adversity. So would mm. you explain to the audience yes. what, what was the gift that came from this adversity? The gift was getting type 2 diabetes. That was my gift. Do you know why? Because I'd be weighing 400 pounds right now. Remember, I was limping. I, ha I needed hip surgery. Not even the pain of my hip and walking with a cane could get me to do something, to better myself, to better my health, to lose the weight. Only when I was finally told that I was a type two diabetic, 
did my life actually change. And it was the catalyst to the wonderful life I have now. I dance, I jump, I walk. I, I did a 5K, uh, I, I raised money for the Kidney Foundation. So as much as people are shocked by hearing me say the gift was the disease, if I hadn't gotten type two, I think I would have continued to eat the way I did. And I would have ended up in a wheelchair. My doctor kept saying, if you don't get the hip surgery, you're going to be in a wheelchair soon. And there's an actress called Delta Burke. She was in a show called Southern Gals. And I remember watching an interview and she said the same thing I just said, that diabetes was the gift for her to change her life. And I get shivers because now I understand why she said that. Because I was like, what? She thinks getting type 2 is a, is a gift? It was a gift. Had I not gotten this disease, I wouldn't have had any reason to change my life, to change my lifestyle, to change how I eat. And I would have ended up in a wheelchair. So it was the type two that has brought me the most amazing life now. One of the things that my son used to say is, Mama, I want to be able to put my arms around and, 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 and be able to touch fingers because he couldn't. He couldn't when I was that big. My, husband, my son now can put his arms around me and almost touch his like, he can go almost wrap around. So do you see the gift I've gotten? I wouldn't have lost the weight. And it's an unusual gift, but I am actually grateful that I got type 2 diabetes. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Louisa, for being here tonight and having this meaningful conversation. Yeah. And my very last request is mm -hmm. if some listener right now mm -hmm. is having this maybe over 300 pounds weight, um, can't do mm -hmm. um, exercise in type 2 type diabetics, mm -hmm. just diagnosed, yeah. what is your biggest advice? that you can give it to that specific person. I love that you mentioned exercise because did you notice I never am mentioned exercise? So I lost 150 pounds without doing one bit of exercise. Zero. Because weight loss and managing your type 2 diabetes is about the choice you make of what you put in your mouth. The only exercise that you should be worried about is what your hand is picking up off your plate and what it's putting in your mouth. 90% of weight loss, 90% of managing your blood sugars, even you, Jerry, even though you don't have a weight loss, a, a weight issue, it's what you're choosing to put in your mouth. And what did you say earlier about, uh, you had said something about what you are, what you eat, right? So I lost 150 pounds because I'm allergic to exercise. I hate it. <laughs> but having said that, I now like to exercise. The last couple of years, because of COVID, being able to work from home, having more time, I started to do weights. I started to do a little bit of stretching. And now I'm getting smaller. I still weigh the same. And because muscle weighs more than fat, sometimes I weigh more. But when I measure myself, I've lost another inch. So your listener, if there is someone who was like me, frustrated, in pain, 
inf has inflammation, bloating, uh, eating all these high carb foods, the blood sugars are all over the place. You're already on four medications. Your doctor told you that you're going to be placed on more. You can lose the weight you need to lose, or if you don't need to lose weight, you can bring those blood sugars down to normal range by embracing keto, low carb, intermittent fasting, and one meal a day OMAD. They are my toolkit, but I lead people from one to the other. And we use them on rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. There are so many ways of eating, so many. And we didn't go into the medical professionals and why they can't really prescribe keto and low carb. And it's because they're regulated by the federal government in both our countries and they have to follow the food guide. As a matter of fact, Jerry, my mission in life is to lobby our countries to change the food guides. If you look at the food guide, Right at the top is all the things that are making us diabetics. So eventually, before my time on earth is over, I will have lobbied at least two governments to change the food guides. And I know I will do it. That's I, huge. Yes, it is. I've already started to, by the way. <laughs> if you need a petition, I'll vote one. <laughs> <laughs> no, and may I, I, before we close, I would like to offer my free gift to your listeners which is a two-hour free. It's worth $497, two hours with me. Find me on Facebook. Find me on, on, on Instagram. Find me on TikTok, L-U-I-S-A-M-O-R-R-O-N-E. Just reach out and say, I, I heard you on Jury's podcast, and you'll get two-hour free consult with me. That is so nice of you to offer that. So our listeners... Uh, find Louisa Moroni and mention a gift from adversity or just do love the podcast. Yeah. Um, so we are going to close this conversation. But before we do that, I just yeah. want to thank you again, Louisa, for really sharing your life story and then tools that you use to overcome and a gift mm -hmm. that came from it. And to our listener, we have a lot more guests coming from all over the world. I'm so grateful to be here and sharing the space with you and holding the space for you. So thank you again, everyone. Have a great night. Thank you so much, Jerry. That was wonderful. <laughs>